Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 169. This is uh, recording live today on uh, Wednesday the 17th of March 2010. Uh, we'll be on iTunes and various other distribution methods uh, tomorrow, which is the 18th. Um, well, I've got a, a full chat room. Thank you very much for everybody joining us. In case uh, you haven't, you wonder what I'm talking about. SonicState.com forward slash live around 4pm UK time is the place to be because there's a live chat room and a live stream. So you can hear what uh, what we're doing, what we're talking about, all that kind of of stuff and uh, get involved and chat with the other chatties of which we have a nice full batch so thanks everybody for coming in and uh, i'll start on the other side of the pond because uh, we've got pj tracy with us uh, emmy winning pj tracy pj tracy music.com how are you doing pj good morning i'm doing fantastic yeah other than showing up an hour early for the show yeah that daylight saving thing's got a yeah always gets you doesn't it the um in fact uh, what was i think i think ours happens at the end of the month I believe, if I'm correct. Okay. So we'll be back in sync again for next next week. But uh, hey, anyway, uh, it's also St. Patrick's Day apparently. So if you're thinking of drinking um, some Guinness or perhaps some uh, single malt whiskey, this is be a good time. So anyway, pjtracymusic.com. And let's move back over here where we've got uh, Mark Tinley, sound artist and uh, producer, musician extraordinaire. How are you doing, Mark? I'm very well, thank you. Autism well, hero. Where, where are we sending you? Like being or autism? Like being dot com is a, yeah. I like that one at the moment. Like being dot com. You must have a fairly large stack of domains now. I do keep buying them and thinking, "Oh, that's a good one," and then I buy it and then I sit on it for a year and then think, "Yeah, I don't really need that anymore." <laughs> <laughs> but the one I'm uh, the one I'm about to buy is transportautism.org.uk for my transport museum. Ah, yes, okay. Because I'm actually going to form a charity, which is so complicated and just uh, unbelievable red tape. Gina's been going through the charity uh, commission's website to sort of work out how to do it. And we've been told by somebody who specialises in starting charities, absolutely do not follow the rules on the uh, charity commission's website because you won't get your charity approved if you use those rules you have to do this so right. <laughs> unbelievable we spent you know months trying to figure it out and then we've been told don't do that whatever you do oh I see. you'll be pleased to know i've bought a new iphone <laughs> a new iphone what for a, why for a, a 3gs one because well you know i broke mine oh no i didn't i no, i didn't know that all oh, right okay uh, the power button went, and I decided I should take it. <laughs> Sorry, that, I laugh because there is actually only one button, isn't there, on the iPhone? And for that to go is kind of... That's it, isn't it? The only moving part broke. What I need to do is find somebody who's very clever at putting iPhones back together to put it back together for me. Oh, that's right. It. You tried to fix it, didn't you? And, um, and ended up with a multi-part yes. iPhone. Yes. But I've got a new one, so my arm has been... Put back in its socket, so to speak. Right. Well, anyway, uh, so likebeing.com, thank you very much for joining us. And also, uh, let's say hello to Dave Spears from g4software.com. On the eve of the release of uh, Imposca 2, perhaps, or certainly maybe Messer-type <laughs> announcements, I'm just, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm just uh, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm riffing here. You'll have to tell me what the truth is, obviously. Oh, the truth. <laughs> it's changed. It's Imp4 now. Imp4, fantastic. <laughs> no. Uh, no, we're getting there. Pro Tools, what a nightmare. I should say very little on this, shouldn't I? Maybe. I don't understand why some things do some things a completely different way to other things. And it's like, (laughs) so you fix something and then something else, and it's like, oh dear, oh dear. So there you go. Oh, so that's the, yeah, you're you're tweaking with all of that stuff. Yeah, it's hosts. 
It's hilarious, really, because you can spend, you know, a reasonable amount of time developing something and then you spend an extra, extra, inordinate amount of time... Getting it to work on everything with, else. With various hosts, yeah, it's mental. Maybe anyway, you should okay. start by developing for that first and then go the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> it was that easy. Well, some, uh, Charlie Allen in the chat room says, hopes you get an OBE for the Imposca 2. So <laughs> you're getting some support even. I was hoping for an, an earlship. An earlship. Or an mm. earldom. An earldom, right, okay. And an OBE so I could be an earlobe. <laughs> hey! I'm a FRSA, or I, ne- I nearly was. I got offered to be an FRSA, Fellow of the Royal Society, but uh, I never paid the 600 quid a year or something, so I suppose I haven't, I haven't got the right to put it after my name. What's that? What does that mean? Yeah, fellow a, f- of the- a Fellow of the Royal Society just means that you're a fellow of the Royal Society. The Royal Society is that sort of uh, big arts-scientific um, body. It's like a gentleman's club, isn't it? And they, they, I think they hand it out to people who, who get s- or certain directorships of companies and what have you. I think the reason I got it is because of uh, the songwriting thing that, we, that I got for a song I wrote, and I think that's why I got it. So, But I didn't actually join anyway. Or it could have been the Masons. The Masons, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I techni- technically, I'm a Lord, but that only oh, costs true. seven quid. Yeah, well, I think I might try that instead. Lord, yeah. Lord Bat. And they'll probably all go, is that a spelling mistake? Aren't you the, is, is that bloke, that mad bloke who lives out at Longley, is that your dad? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And neither is Mike Bat, and I'm not related to Wombles in any way. <laughs> anyway, that's really got nothing to do with anything. Should we start with uh, with some some stuff? Uh, obviously, uh, I don't know where this came from, but uh, it was a little boots post, and I'm going to use it to play a little bit of little boots. That's a song called Mathematics, which I thought, Mark, you'd probably appreciate, being so into numbers and numerology. But uh, yeah. the reason I put that up is because um, Little Boots has been touring in America, and she's been doing the sort of fly-on-the-wall stuff, the blog posting and all the video stuff, and it, it just looked like really good fun, like they were having a great laugh. And there was a clip from them in San Francisco, Fillmore East, which I think was on the 13th of Mar- March. I, I'm, I'm not so sure. And uh, Dave Smith was there showing her his, um, his mofo keyboard. Yeah, that was cool. weird. And I thought, wow, that's cool. That was cool. Worst thing is, get this, you know, as soon as I put this and start researching it, I did a quick search just to find out about tour dates so I could say, oh, yes, and go and see the names. And then first thing that came up was a blog post saying, Little Boots today cancelled the rest of a US tour due to <laughs> unforeseen circumstances, <laughs> which, which is obviously, oh. um, I, I don't know, I, obviously there's something going on there, but it's a shame. But, uh, yeah, so it was a bit bad sync from me. But um, it just... It kind of just got me thinking, really. Is touring always that fun? Does this sort of thing happen? Because Rich and... Well, sorry, um, Mark and Dave, you've both toured at sort of high levels. Do you get kind of people yeah. like Dave Smith showing up and showing you keyboards and stuff? I guess you would have done with um, with the, the... Yeah, I did, yeah. Roland used to show up. I was very friendly with a guy from Kurtzweil. Uh-huh. And I think uh, Rich Hilton and I have a mutual friend who's now at Korg, who used to be at Ensonic who came and got me and took me to the Ensonic factory and showed me all around the Ensonic factory so, uh, and brought various different people who used to bring us gifts, actually, while we were on tour. So, yeah, that was actually one of the benefits of being on tour with some, a big-name act. 
definitely. Well, I haven't. I haven't done much touring myself, but I was just looking at that and thinking about the times that I had been on the road. It was uh, and just thinking, God, it was so much fun. I can't remember any bad bits about it apart from the hangovers. But obviously, that's <laughs> that's not. That's, You're a lucky guy. But I, obviously, that's not. Yeah, I was just wondering what what's not to like about touring, PJ. You sound like you might have some have something to share with us there. <laughs> well, I, I've I've not toured at at those particular levels where the the people are inviting you to the insonic factory and i i've done some touring with with uh various corporate outfits um different members of of uh various bands that prince has had together and so the best part about that is playing with those guys and also you know any musicians that happen to be that happen to be out on the road for instance i i played with um the big bang which was uh johnny lang a blue a big blues guy here in the united states his band and going to uh legends in chicago and getting to play with buddy guy that was a you know that was a real a real thrill the bad bits are when you get stuck in a band or you you take a gig and there's a there's a poor dynamic amongst you know some people in the band or the band and the crew or that kind of thing and right and uh that that can just be hell i tend to kind of (laughs) Uh, to go off into a corner and just uh, watch from a distance. I like the all. way you put that poor dynamic. That's about as yeah. diplomatic <laughs> as it possibly well, could get. Well, you try to be as diplomatic as you can. Possibly. I suppose I remember I was um, I was doing uh, working with a band. We were doing a tour of Germany, and we had there was a manager who was the son of the the real manager who'd come along to kind of you know cut his teeth on the road, you know, to manage. And he was he was rather ineffectual. And I remember the band were getting really hacked off because all the lighting crew kept piling on the bus pre gigs and just sort of getting in the way and just drinking the rider and stuff and it started to get to be an issue and i brought it up with the the sort of the person who was uh, in looking after the actual tour in terms of the promotion and uh and the next thing i know i got <laughs> all the lighting guys came up and uh, I, I, I were 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 very unhappy with my uh, <laughs> with what I'd said to the tour people. So I, I realised then that politics <laughs> were much more important than uh, perhaps the band. <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> but yeah. No, it happened. So I, I, was, I was part of a, not to be too gossipy, but I was part of a, a touring group that was fronted by three women. And we were doing mostly old Motown and R&B and 70s disco covers, that kind of thing, and doing a lot of corporate events. And um, the woman who was ostensibly the lead singer of the group she i remember her telling me on the first week out that she got along with none of the other women in the band but that was okay because en vogue all had psychologists for each member of the group wow that's gonna put the touring costs up (laughs) yeah yeah and i said well yeah and en vogue is you know clearing what a hundred thousand dollars a night and we're getting paid what 10 grand a show (laughs) i don't think you're gonna be able to uh to afford such uh such amenities to be able to mitigate your your mediate your your but it's problems. funny isn't it because that surely now this is where the excesses should be because touring is the only way to to make cash you know so you could probably spend quite a lot of it on the road i mean anyway dave sorry i was going to get to you and ask if you had any uh, exciting technological kind of uh, things to share from a, a show where people have perhaps come up and tried to punt various keyboards or synthesizers at you yeah i mean it was a while ago um but yeah it does happen quite a lot i think my biggest error i I know we got a load of gear off of alesis at the time i think there was sound technology in the uk and some of the guys maybe it wasn't maybe it was near sound technology i can't remember the company but um i think it was yeah it was alesis was in wetworth wasn't it yeah it was just around the corner from them yeah 
Yeah. And the guys said, oh, you know, obviously we'll kind of give you this at a great price as long as you can get us tickets for the show. And I forgot the guy's surname, even though he was a kind of local guy to me, which is how I knew him in the first place. And uh, so I just put, I don't know, James from whatever the company was. And, of course, he comes down and asks for the guest list and gives his name. And they say, no, <laughs> you're not on the list. You can't come in. So he kind of protested. I think it probably a little bit too much. So they removed him from the venue. And all I got was... <laughs> A phone call. I, I got an answer phone message the following, you know, when I kind of finished the tour, I went through the answer phone messages and it was, Dave, this is James. I've got one word to say. Bollocks. And that was it. Did you ever speak again? Uh, I think so. After I'd explained it, he was all right. Because you, I mean, usually when you're, well, you, well, I suppose they're the worst ones, aren't they? When you're on your home turf, the guest list is always a bit of a nightmare. Whereas if you're in kind of Freiburg or somewhere in the middle of nowhere, it's kind of like, yeah, do you want to come to the show tonight? Sure. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> you can kind of, you know, you, you've got no problem filling a guest list. You know, you've got, you got the opposite problem. We, yeah, I mean, I think we were limited places like Hammersmith and that. I think you, you could probably get one or two. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's very different now, isn't it? I mean, it's all just completely sewn up by record companies. I mean, there used to be a time where I could ring up a production manager and go, oh, any chance of popping up tonight? And nine times oh, out yeah. of ten, they'd be absolutely fine about it. But now you can speak to people in advance. I mean, I've got <clears> people who are mates who are on tours all the time. And they kind through. of get you in the back door. But, I mean, most of the time it's like, you know, oh, I can't put you on the list for anything in London. So now it's got to the stage where I don't even bother trying to get anywhere in town. You are, or you want to move. You want to move somewhere less popular. Well, Brighton's took, not too far from me, I so... Suppose. Sorry, Mark. I took my daughter to see Emily Autumn on Friday night in the O2 Academy in Islington. And in the last 20 years, I have to say, I've never bought a ticket for anything. Well, pretty much since I worked with Duran Duran. I've always known somebody who knows somebody, and there would always be somebody that would get me a ticket. And I had to buy a ticket, because I kept asking people and didn't get, didn't get anywhere with it at all. I haven't been to a gig for ages, actually. To say what else I yes, noticed about sure. that video. Uh, I noticed that they were playing Pictionary for two hours in the hotel room, and I thought, yeah, that's what going on tour is really like. Just trying to kill time. I kind of was amused by that. And I was also, uh, I also, San Francisco reminds me of Gold Tequila and Moe Slammers, because my brother Adam always used to put those on the rider. For some reason, that came to mind. Well, I can imagine you'd want to forget that. That sounds like a... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, Now I'm more cultured. I realise that it should have been go, uh, gold tequila and crystal slammers. That probably would have <laughs> yeah, been more never, decadent, wouldn't That would it? have but been very decadent, yeah. I don't think we knew what crystal was back then. Well, it looked to me like they were on the tour bus because there was a lot of shots of them on the tour bus and they were doing the day room thing by the looks of things as well because I don't know if, if, if you've ever done that. I mean, when it, it's when you're doing the... You're actually on a tour bus and you've got, you know, berths on the tour bus so everybody sleeps there and you travel overnight and then what you do is you get to the town that you're doing the gig at and uh, they hire a couple of rooms at a hotel just for the day and the crew or the band just sort of wander in one at a time and use the facilities, you know, have a shower and get freshen up and all that sort of thing. And I remember all of that being kind of quite fraught because you can't sometimes it wouldn't happen and you'd be oh sorry there's no day rooms today and it's like jesus what are we gonna do you know we're all smelly oh, yeah. you know all, it is horrible you, you get yeah, that don't you? i forgot about that actually so you do a gig the night before you know you go to bed after a gig which is obviously and the loadout you're obviously a bit rank and kind of sweaty and then the next day you hope to god there's a day room otherwise you stay that way i've got one classic one of that is that um i think we'd done an overnighter and there was no showers the night before and we get to a hotel in switzerland and one of the guys that i was rooming with was definitely one for the ladies one in every port let's say 
So he, as we get to this hotel, that everything's running late and the room's not quite ready, but we're all desperate for a shower. So we kind of go, look, my room's ready. So why don't you kind of, you know, just take it in turns? Don't leave the bathroom too scummy and all the rest of it. So like three or four people had gone in and it was my turn. And the chambermaid is still cleaning. And this guy that I was rooming with said, she's gorgeous. I'm going to have a go at her. And I went, oh, dude, give it a rest for Christ's sake. You know, it's been like every night you've been Mr. Stickman. <laughs> and, he, and I said that she's a chambermaid it's not possible you know she'd get the sack and all the rest of it and in the time it took me to have a two minute shower and then walk out guess what I saw <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's just that's true tour story really how did is. he do that who knows it was amazing he would just walk up as you're getting off the plate you know you kind of go thank you thank you thank you and he'd just walk up and plant this sh- and say to her this uh, air hostess or whatever you've got the most beautiful eyes and then just give her this huge kiss and you'd think, I don't know, you know, how do you get that away with that? Work. Most people would just get slapped. Well, mm. anyway, yeah, no, I, but Sean, um, Sean Ra, our uh, erstwhile pre- uh, reviewer and uh, performer, who sadly is no longer with us because he's off doing uh, doing bigger and greater things. But we used to, you know, we'd go, we'd be like five o'clock in the morning on the way to the airport to go to Music Messer, say, and he'd meet somebody at the checkout in the service station and swap numbers, you know, and you just uh, think, what? wait a minute <laughs> somebody it- told me on the tour um they coined a phrase and it's the difference between getting away with it i think it was the difference between being charismatic and sleazy is how good looking you are ah right. that's the key then and that's I where i've been going wrong all this time <laughs> i'm obviously too good looking anyway so um that was uh, that was insp- that chat was inspired by a, uh, a YouTube video of Little Boots on tour. I think she got to tour dates f- fifth date her brother was doing the cam uh, the camera work and um and uh, sadly th- that's cancelled now but there there are still a couple of one or two dates that are still going so hopefully uh, we'll see a bit more of her that she's I think she's touring her Illuminations album so uh, good luck to her and I hope whatever it is that's preventing you from touring is uh, you know is not too too heavy I've and got- you can sort it all out. I've got one other thing to say, which I forgot to say. Please do. I noticed that she had a female front-of-house sound engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, please, to everything. So she said, piano, please. And then she said, kick drum, please. And I don't ever remember tours being like that. It was like, kick drum! (laughs) (laughs) How lovely. If I ever go touring anywhere again, I want a female front-of-house engineer to say please to me. That would be... There, there seem to be more um, female front of house engineers, which is a great thing. I remember Goldfrapp had somebody called Helen. I forget her surname. She was really good as well. Um, and I think it just it must change. It does change the whole kind of dynamic. The more girls you have in the band and the crew, the whole thing changes quite uh, dramatically. But anyway. Depends on the girls. Yeah, well, I suppose it does. Uh, absolutely. 100%. We should probably leave it there because I can just feel that the, the hole we are digging, we could potentially dig for ourselves, could be bottomless. <laughs> hey, well, this has taken a bit longer than I'd anticipated. I suppose we could put an ad in. I, I'm sure um, Yamaha won't uh, won't mind being uh, alongside our smutty comments, but uh, we'd like to say thank you very much to Yamaha.co.uk for their continued sponsorship of the show. Obviously, um, they are, have their own podcast, and they also have their own newsletter. Uh, the podcast is uh, this month. They're doing a special on the brand new Pocket Track C24 portable recorder. Where they do some recording, and they've been um, sort of passing it around a panel of reviews 
Lewis, and apparently it's going down very well. Very well. Uh, and also, they want me to tell you a little bit about the Yamaha CP1 stage piano, which is the new spectral component modelling one, which uh, we took a look at, at NAM, and it did look very nice. It had lots of models of um, acoustic pianos, also electric pianos, and various other kinds of pianos. All the websites and all their communication technology in the world is no substitution for actually going to a store and sitting down to play one. They're getting amazing feedback from key artists about the new piano. So if you do get a chance, go into a store and try the Yamaha CP1 stage piano. I'm told it's absolutely rocking. And also, like I say, the podcast, Pocket Track C24, there's a roundup there on this month's podcast. If you want to get to the Yamaha podcast, and it's uh, something you can get through iTunes, if you go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, uh, that will give you the link to get hold of uh, the actual podcast. And also, uh, you can sign up for their newsletter where you can keep up to date with all of the artist interviews and all the music production tips and all the other stuff it's because it's not just all about product placement with them they do actually have quite a lot of external and useful information so do check it out please go to sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha it tracks the links and it means that they'll know where you came from that was the sound of a morphing waveform That's the sound of the new software synth from Zills Lab. It's called a PolyKB. And we understand, or at least I was looking into it, and it looks like it's modelled on the RSF Polycobble, which was only a prototype. And I was looking it up in uh, Peter Forrest's excellent A to Z of analog synthesizers. And it said uh, you get them in four or eight voices. Uh, and it was two to th- it was going to be two to three k new in 1981, but it never got past the prototype stage. And looks, it's a cross between a memory moog profit with a bit of syntax syntax thrown in. Other words, it looks pretty good. And this is um, a new model from uh, Zills Lab. Uh, I don't know; they've done a couple of things. Dave, you're you're sort of more in these. They're probably on your radar. Have you checked this out? Did you? It sounded quite good. Some of that waveform morphing, did it not? It did sound good. And the uh, EMS thing that he's done has got a good reputation. He's basically ex Arturia. Ah, okay. Yes, interesting. I think I've seen one of these. I know I've played with the little rack one. Yeah, the, RSF, the just the straight RSF cobble. Apparently, it was used by Depeche Mode on. Uh, All I want to do is see you, and that was the RSF cobble. Didn't Daniel Miller have an RSF cobble, and he was kind of one of the early exponents of it, which is hence why you'd imagine maybe De- Depeche Mode were using it on one of their albums. Certainly, figure. So that's what that is. Is a rack? Is it? It's the because co- I've seen one of those. The rack thing. Yeah, the, the RSF cobbles a rack, but the PolyKB was never made, or there was only a couple of prototypes. And um, in the original news item, which was on Sonic, um, there I forget the name of the guy who posted the comment, but he said he's actually heard one in the flesh. So there must have been a few made, and I'm right. guessing this must have been modelled on one of the ones that was made. But it did, uh, you know, because one of the things that's really key with all of this stuff is you can sort of tell whether the waveforms are genuine. And it did sound like it had weight and depth. And that what apparently um, what this could do had a continuously morphing waveform. So you could morph oh. between multiple, you know, through various different waveform types. And this apparently is, much, is quite hard to do in digital. But they, it sounds like they've done a fairly good job of doing that. And it's, like you say, it's not, I mean, Arturia stuff is, you know, is, is what it is. Um, but it has a sort of generic kind of waveform sound whereas this did sound like quite a unique and fat kind of quality to it i was just gonna say it looks a lot like an elka syntax for some reason it reminds me of it anyway oh, it was french in it wasn't yeah. elka french as well so probably oh they're italian oh yes because they made organs didn't they 
Mm. Well, you know, European then. (laughs) I I like their GUI design. I think it it reminds me a lot of the stuff that you guys do, Dave. The Zillis 3, which is the one that's based on the uh, EMS, uh, is about €150. So I don't know how much this one will be, but it sounds like it could be quite a good deal. It's going to be available soon. I mean, hopefully, um, it being Music Messer next week, in fact, I should mention now, we're not going to have a show next week because we'll be in Frankfurt. Um, We might be able to get to see it in the flesh, you know, at least a kind of working prototype of it. I'll keep an eye out for that. But I, I, I suppose the thing that got me is like they're modelling a synthesizer that almost nobody knew they wanted because it never made it past the prototype stage. It's quite a sort of bold move. That's very odd. It'll be quite interesting though because you're not going to get people going. Oh, it doesn't sound like the real thing. <laughs> right. I suppose exactly. <laughs> That's very yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the best of both worlds, isn't it? If they pull it off. Yeah, it's a, it's a real rarity that no one will be able to say. Well, you know, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Good point, Dave. <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, obviously the two to 3,000 quid new, um, it's going to be significantly less than that, and uh, it'd be nice to, to hear it, because it, the sound clips do sound good. Right, um, what should we have next? So do we, um, should we have a quick look at the, the Zenovieff thing? That was kind of fun. There was a great clip. It's, oh, I've done it. The Peter Zenovieff have been um, talking at Red Bull Music Academy, and they've been videoing it, and he's just been sort of, because Peter Zenovieff, for those who don't mind us, don't know, I suppose this is the tie-in, was one of the guys who developed the EMS, early EMF stuff. I got Delia Derbyshire and Brian Hodgson from the BBC to join me in that. I mean, the idea was that we would make a fortune doing... Um, doing commercial sounds and I wasn't interested in doing commercial sounds we did one commercial sound for Philips which was something like whoop and that was it and we we got a lot of money for that but I didn't want to do that I didn't want to do that so um, I thought that was great that was the only reason I played it because that clip is just fantastic that's uh, Dr. Peter Zinoviev talking about um, back in the day they set up a commercial electronic music laboratory and uh, brought over a couple of people from the uh the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, including D.O. Derbyshire, and they tried to make money sort of making commercial sounds. And as he said, we made a whoop for Philips and got paid a huge amount of money. But that's not what he wants to do, because he was always very experimental. I think we've talked about Zenobia uh, once or twice before. There was a great documentary of him in his houseboat-type um, studio, which was just amazing. I think, Dave, you probably know a bit about this, because I remember you talking about it at the time. But I didn't even know... He, I mean, it's terrible. I didn't know he was still alive and still involved in kind of... Uh, lecturing and all that sort of thing, but I suppose it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks good as well. I just found him on Facebook and I've befriended him. Oh, have you? So you're, oh, now, a, you're now a friend of Peter Zinoviev? Well, he hasn't accepted my request, of course, because I just found him, but um, um, I, know, I watched another clip in that series. I clicked through to YouTube and then I went to where... Uh, did you get that from Red Bull music or something yeah. i think and then i watched i watched some of the subsequent parts of that interview and there's a, a, a clip of him going down into his garden shed which is actually subterranean in his back garden so he goes kind of walking off down the garden path and i guess he's in his sort of late 30s early 40s maybe and then goes down these steps and then just into this huge shed which is full of like electronic equipment that he's built and then they yeah, yeah and then start talking about this thing called a pdp8 oblique s which is a music computer that he sits in front of and then this thing starts creating like all this music and i i and they sort of showed lots of clips like that of him creating and making all these pieces of music and the times reviews reaction to 
the music he made in these concerts and everything. And then he said it was rather sad that sort of at the end of it, they ended up making rather pathetic little synthesizers. And that was his sort of perception of, you know, where he'd, where yeah. he'd managed to get to what, with like it. So, the Synthy 100, for instance. Yeah, yeah which was brilliant, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but to him, he had so much more to offer. And then uh, it seemed like the British government, when he, oh, yes, when very he started sad, having it? problems, the British government didn't see any sort of value in it. And all of his gear ended up in a basement. And uh, the basement got flooded and it all got completely wrecked and he was very sad about that yeah we talked about that it's, it's a bit like the um the the inventor of the jet jet engine isn't it the same sort of story isn't it? it's got that kind of similar ring to it what was his name frank whittle yeah. was it whittle why do yeah. why do we british people do that to people it's <laughs> i mean our culture's just insane for that mm. um, but then at the end of one of the clips he also said he started talking about computer music and he was saying of course you can make can think of now and it's amazing what you can do with all this stuff and we don't need these gigantic juggernaut sized pieces of equipment anymore and then he started talking about making music and he said he wishes that he could find somebody to work with and i Mark. thought i wonder where he is i must be able to find and so i discovered he's in cambridge which isn't so far from me it's like 15 miles away so he lives 15 miles away from me but i think i think out of this podcast that if people know where i am on facebook and he befriends me and uh or if anybody looks on facebook they'll find him as peter zinoffiev senior that we should all befriend him and offer to work with him because we could probably work over um over uh, I, uh internet connections and send each other like sound files and all sorts of things and um, he would be such a cool person to that work with. That's very true. God, Howie, I'm guessing that's Howie Scar in the. Uh, yeah. Has said my band recorded at Zinoviev's. I guess would that, that, really? would, that ah. be, would that be gone? <laughs> While he was on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> While he was on holiday. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I, lo- I love his his uh, you know in that clip that you sent along his sort of. Uh, hippie-esque egalitarian approach to music making where he said, I, I didn't want to do any of these. I, I didn't want to collect thousands of pounds from Phillips for making whoop sounds. I wanted to bring bands and, and students into my studio and allow them to work on projects for months at a time for free. How yeah. fantastic is that? Don't we yeah. all? Don't we all, frankly? Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. But I mean, the fact that you, you know, that you can actually go on, you know, on television and, and, <coughs> say, and say such a thing, you know, yeah. means that you know he actually pulled it off for some time. Yes, I suppose. Well, so. perhaps the sad part is that he didn't realize that he could have sold Whoop sounds to Philips and Sony and everyone else and uh, utilized that income to yeah. all bands. Well, would, I, I would have yeah. said that's a probably yeah. that's a very good point. Anyway, it sounds like a get out of a Synthy 100. Whoop. Yeah, if you're After lucky. About two hours. Or yeah. a bit of clicking. So, <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, a whoop, a whoop sound was a day long project back then. <laughs> 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 yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. That's a very good point. Well, anyway, um, that was nice. And, um, well, let's hope that. Um, Peter does hook up with you, Mark, and if you if you get some music together, perhaps you can um, you can preview it here on Sonic State. Maybe we could get him to talk talk to us at some point. I can't Maybe. believe if he wants to make music and you know available to make music with it. I can't believe nobody's making music with him. That's sort of I get the feeling he might be quite fussy. 
based on the fact that um you know he wanted to basically give away things that cost thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds but not actually generate any revenue or income himself i'm guessing he might have a very strong uh, idea of what he wants and what he doesn't want yeah so maybe. i don't know it'll be fun. it'll be more challenging than working with Nick, then that could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Peter Zenovia, way to go, mate. And uh, I hope you find someone to work with soon. And if it's Mark, then all the, all the better. That was a clip from Yellow, the race. Uh, I, I can't actually remember where the hell this came from. I just think I was browsing around on YouTube and it was one of those random discoveries. And it just reminded me, it's so much the sound of the time. Those guys, Boris Blank and Dieter Mir, um, were kind of the masters of electronic music production in the same way that um, perhaps Dolby was at the time. They had just had that, I guess it was the sound of the Fairlight, I would imagine. But uh, there was one, I was researching a little bit about Dieter Mir on um, Wikipedia, because I thought who it is. And uh, it said... He's an industrious millionaire and professional gambler. And I just thought, how cool is that? <laughs> and yet he decided to be in a band. I guess that's probably what funded the Fairlight, because presumably that's what they needed to do a lot of that stuff. But uh, anyone remember Yellow? Did, you, um, did, did they make it over to the US in a big way? Oh, yeah, most definitely. The song, Oh, Yeah, was, was huge over here. Uh, you know that song? Yes. Bow, bow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was in about... Uh, 17 different films from about 1986 on, as well as several television commercials. And, um, yeah, those guys were huge. And, and when I first heard that song, probably at the age of 11 or 12, I, um, I had to find out who those guys were. And so, yeah, uh, yeah Yellow and, and uh, Art of Noise were the two big ones for me back in the, back in the late 80s. Love them. Yeah, no, brilliant. And they were, but they were very enigmatic. Um, in fact, Boris Blank, uh, he kind of very came very much out of the sort of tape loops and samples. And he he's somebody, you know, we always, we I'm sure we've all been there when samplers first came out. We all bought DAT machines or DAT recorders, and we went out recording sounds of the ambient sounds of nature and and the environment to use them creatively in our recordings, which of course never actually happened. But Boris Blank is one of those people that really did, and he really got, you know, he really did use those recordings. So he's kind of he's kind of flying the flag for all us failed um, sound collectors or at least I'm talking for myself I know Mark you have a bit more success I I tried to I tried to do that yesterday with some students at Middlesbrough University and it was an utter disaster I'd been out in the field recording various different bits and pieces but even after recording like like I don't know tons of stuff I didn't really have enough to create anything useful with it so Shall I talk about Yellow? Yeah, yes. go on then. <laughs> so my my biggest memory of Yellow, or my most uh, uh, memorable memory of Yellow, was I was standing in this nightclub trip in the Astoria in 1988, and I just happened to be at a point in my uh, evening where I was standing between the speakers, and they filled the whole place up with smoke, and then this dragster, that V8 dragster sound at the beginning of the race literally came from one speaker to the other right through me in the club and i was like whoa what the hell was that and i've loved them ever since really <laughs> so it's, it's got a sort of visceral experience you've got a visceral yeah, memory of like, it Ow. i just remember that uh, amazon i what was the album called you got to say yes to another excess wasn't it 
but essentially, I mean, really, there was only two or three riffs that they just used over and over again, like uh, that uh, Vicious Games riff. Do, 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 do. I heard that in the race as well, <laughs> towards the oh, end. Did you? Yeah. I mean, I love the brass sound in the race. Oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Doesn't yeah, really, it doesn't but- really sound like brass, but it's got this kind of crunchy bitty grunginess that and somebody told me they put that through a marshall cab i don't know if that's true or not but oh i thought that was just a straight fairlight fairlight sign but maybe not all right okay well i mean two two things one is that uh uh blank he he recorded a lot of his own samples so he would get musicians together and record them rather than mining them from other places so he you know he may have recorded brass you know through a through a marshall cab but the other is that they they evolved as well. I mean, it, I remember buying a record of theirs, and I, I don't remember the name of it, and I couldn't I couldn't find it. I I I don't know where it is. But in the late nineteen nineties, maybe nineteen ninety six ninety seven, and it was a compilation of stuff that they had recorded in the mid nineteen nineties, and then this this odd stuff they did for a Japanese anime soundtrack in the early 1990s. And this this stuff was very different from the things they were doing in the late 1980s. It was more um, uh, almost almost trance. And it was, so it's, it's kind of interesting. It's soundtracky and, and, and uh, kind of some epic trance and some kind of minimal, minimal techmo, techno kind of things going on on that record. Very very interesting stuff, but very different sounding than what they were doing in you know in the mid nineteen eighties. I remember that. No, no, I remember that anime. That was Space Adventure Cobra. Yep, that's it. Yep, that's yep. Uh, no, I, I don't have an awful lot of experience with Yellow. I think I bought a couple of CDs. Didn't really do an awful lot for me. I wasn't really into that at the time. But I do remember, and I'm not sure whether this is something I dreamt or whether this really happened. I think it really happened. Being in New York and uh, Boris Blank, I think it was, was on a street corner selling the word yes or no. Yeah, little <laughs> booth. Really? You would queue up and you would kind of go yes. And if you said yes, you got a dollar. And I think if you said no, you got two dollars or something like that. It was completely f- mental. Oh, that is weird. Because Dieter Mier was a, was a performance artist. That's where he came from. Apparently, uh, one of his works of art was there uh, was a train station somewhere in, uh, in Switzerland that he, he put a plaque down saying, on the 12th of August, 1984, uh, Dieter Mier will stand here. And he did, 22 years, ah. 22 years later, apparently. Superb. Wow. It's probably him. Probably him. Yeah. I know I, I mentioned it to a couple hey. of mates and they went, no, you must have been tripping. But I wasn't. <laughs> is, he still do- is he still doing that kind of thing? I should, I should look. I, I have a feeling he did an exhibit here recently in Minneapolis where um, it was something along those lines. And I had a friend that tried out for, for the, uh, the exhibit where he was going to have um, security guards within the – they were hired performers within – the gallery, which was blank, nothing on the walls, nothing on the floors, just a just a lit gallery, and uh, patrons would walk through the gallery, and the and they would approach a security guard, and as they they'd come up to that security guard, presumably to ask them where is the exhibit, the security guard would flail their arms and then fall on the floor and say, Dieter Mier, copyright 2010. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You, you couldn't make that stuff up, really, could you? <laughs> and I wonder how much he got for that. Still, he's a, he's a, he's a rare, a rare eccentric. I just like the fact that he's an industrious millionaire and a professional gambler. That's just, just totally yeah, cool. That's enough, isn't it? That's just kind of enough. That's brilliant. And all, oh, and also, he was a one-time member of the Swiss national golf team. <laughs> 
that's just out there, isn't it? It's just brilliant. I just I imagine he'd be a really fascinating bloke to meet and just have a chat with. He's obviously completely off the wall. Every time he gets a hole in one, they just go, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. He's the, he's the Swiss Tiger Woods. <laughs> you could be right. Anyway, that was fun. Yellow, um, and there's a few links to stuff in the show notes I can uh, I can post for various videos if uh, those of you who want to take a trip down memory lane. But I, th- I tend to agree with you. Um, it, uh, listening back to it now, it's very soulless. It does. It's very. It's it's a sort of audio treat, but it doesn't have much to it. There's section. It's very sectional, isn't it? There's sort of oh, I really like that riff, but it doesn't ever kind of really go anywhere emotional, does it? No, 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 not no dynamics. Yeah, this was an interesting article on uh, Audio Tuts by a chap called Wes Lutter, uh, and his his the whole basis of it is uh, the opening paragraph is a good musician is a good librarian, a, com- a good composer is a good librarian, a good engineer, producer, DJ, or whatever is a glu- is a good librarian. The statement can be applied to nearly any creative endeavour, but most certainly is applicable to modern musicians, composers, and engineers who are constantly switching between projects, applications, presets, and even platforms. And I thought, you know what, that's got a, that's got a very good, um, good point to it. And he goes on to l- list you know, lots of tips on sample and song management, song or project management, performance management, which is a new one, which he says, you know, obviously uh, uh, Apple's main stage, something called Racks, which I've not come across, and Ableton Live. That's a sort of whole new genre of uh, creative management. But, it, it, you know, we've talked about it before when we've sort of said that you almost have to become an IT specialist. And I guess it really started with samples and patches and MIDI, you know, or who can forget the kind of collecting, I'm used to collect thousands and thousands of um, DX7 patches. Oh. Just seemed to be something I used to do and I'll never forget, actually, there's a chap called Andy Davis who uh, used to play keyboards, he was part of the Corgis and he used to play keyboards with Tears for Fears and he'd be on the road a lot and I remember going round to his flat, he said I could use, you know, a couple of his um, synths and whatever and I remember trying to take the patches out of his synth and I just wiped the whole bank of DX7 sounds. He was quite cross, actually, but... Um, <laughs> oh, okay. as you can imagine <laughs> so my my um data man- my my creative management skills were not as uh, as honed as perhaps they are these days <laughs> but pj i mean you're working on lots of musical projects you know lots of um stuff for tv and whatever which you've got to recall quick haven't you and you've got to you know yes. how, do you find you have a specific system for doing that do you use third party stuff or do you just use the file management how do you kind of approach that uh, currently, I'm getting into using Cubase's Media Bay um, setup. I haven't, uh, like I threatened to do last summer, I haven't yet fully, you know, moved moved to another sequencer. So I'm I'm using that that system or getting used to using that system. What I find is that I kind of revolutionize my way of organizing things uh, every few years, and I go through through periods where I'm more organized than others, and then I realize, okay, I need to I need to kind of vamp up and get things ready but i have kind of i have a versioning um you know uh, my own kind of nomenclature for versioning projects so that i know where i'm at within a project because some some projects depending on how many edits how many versions how many different you know and and how many uh iterations of the development cycle that i go through there there will be as i'm sure as with many people you know yeah. 20 30 projects and so I, I, yeah, I definitely have to keep everything organized. I keep all of my sounds in one place. I always copy all of my audio audio files to a project folder, which is, you know, highly redundant and, and memory intensive. But these days, it's cheap, you know, to buy to buy memory, keep things backed up on another drive. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, no, I because I, I try and do that. I mean, I've not I've not used the media bay. Is it because obviously um, there's something similar in Sony Vegas, which is a, a way of managing uh, all of the stuff. But I and I, I know Logic's got something similar, which is a project manager, which I never really got into. It always seemed deeply impenetrable. I always find the best way to, to version stuff would be, you know, once it's finished, you save as project and include assets and then kind of, you know, include uh, folder groups. So you have audio, instruments, samples, you know, audio files, fade files, all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, and, and that's normally the way that I work. I guess what I'm finding Media Bay useful for and, and which on the surface of it is what they what they wanted it to be useful for was to be able to find sounds, virtual instrument sounds quickly. You know, if I want to find a, a certain type of thing, I can I can find kicks, I can find snares across virtual instruments, which I think is, you know, is is somewhat useful. But we'll see, we'll see how it all works out. <laughs> yeah. I, but what happens when I, you? So every few years, you uh, what happens if you got to go back further than uh, the last iteration of your uh, um, your your management system? Who that that gets that gets tricky. I, you know, luckily that doesn't happen all that often, but, uh, but actually recently I had to do that. I had to go back and excavate, um, a very large, it was a very large project, um, that was much, much older. And I really just kind of had to go anthropologically through my system from a couple of years, you know, a few right. years back and try to remember exactly how I had organized everything. And it all worked out, but it took longer than it should have. I, I mean, all my, there's all this stuff on Atari discs and S1000 data tapes, because I, I used to store everything from the S1000 onto DAT. Right. Mm. Um, at the mm. end, so I'd have a working disc, like a zip or something, but then I'd, I'd just save everything out via the digital interface onto a DAT tape. Yeah, uh, me too. And I, I, God knows I could get that back, because, I mean, it's... That's you, can a, play it, you can play it into... Um, you can play it into a DAT, but then... Play it into a door and get the samples back out, but somebody somewhere on this planet needs to write a piece of software that decodes that and turns it into um, EXS24. Yeah, so what, you need, a, you need, a, you need a translator that goes from <laughs> to uh, ESX24. Yeah. Now, there's a project. That is very niche, yeah, isn't it? Get that. on it, someone. Please. Yeah, Dave, please. I, I'll buy it. Dave, um, you, you do the same thing, don't you? I mean, because you, you've got multiple projects. You've obviously got your creative stuff, but you've, you've got the, the sample processing, all the things that you do for the, for the instruments you do. I mean, do you, how do you find do you, do you find that your kind of project management skills have, uh, have come along along with your creative skills, or you, is it a mess? Uh, actually, it's weird. This topic made me realise I think I'm slightly schizophrenic in that when I'm working for others and when we're working on software projects, we have to be very methodical and very organised. And obviously when I'm working with bands, they have their own way of working and I have to kind of fit in with that. So again, I'm very, very, very structured on all of that because I think that's all kind of part of the job. However, when it comes to my own stuff, I like the moment, as it were. So I will programme sounds and then throw them away. And I like those kind of happy accidents and all the rest of it. So it's kind of weird. On one hand, you know, I am really meticulously organised. And then on the other hand, I think that's probably a, a kind of backlash, a release. I just kind of go, right, just for the moment, let's do this, then get rid of it. Hmm. You know, I, I, I do that as well, Nick. On, on some personal projects, I, I, like, I like that way of working as well, where, where I just take, you know, a synthesizer or several synthesizers or samplers and make even extremely meticulous complex sounds and then and then not save them for for whatever reason it's just it's just an emotional emotional response to the moment creating something if i'm doing it for myself if it's if if it's a project that that i have something invested in 
where it's going someplace else or it's for a client, you absolutely have to save it. Yeah, because you, right. you, yeah, you need to recall. Um, or if it's something that I think would be even, well, even sometimes when I think it's something that might be useful in a future template, uh, like Dave, I, there's times when I just, I'll throw it away. Just it's quite, it it's quite nice. It's quite cathartic yeah. in a way. I don't, you know, we've talked about this whole databasing thing and I've kind of got a bit of an aversion to it, maybe because I have to be so strict with the rest of my life, as it were, with, you know, when we're doing the instruments and sound design and stuff like that, it all has to be very organized. And I like that just kind of, this exists now and then it's gone. Yeah, Mark, I mean, yes. how are you when it comes to this sort of thing? Are you kind of very organized or you just throw it about and... Okay, uh, my admission. Um, when I'm working on any project, so whether I'm working on music or my book or if I'm doing artwork for something or for, you know, helping other people with their projects or anything, I work on my computer and save everything on the desktop so I know where it is as I'm working on that project. And then when the desktop gets so full that the icons are all stumbling on top of each other and I can't work out which <laughs> icons are which anymore, <laughs> I then highlight the whole lot and drag it into the My Documents folder and start again. And then then every so often I'll back up the whole computer just to kind of keep track of what's going on. And then when the hard drive gets so full that I can't manage it anymore, I start dragging the biggest things off to make space, which means I drag them off onto our... We've got a Terra station, which is a RAID 5 server in our house. So I drag them off onto there and save them in various folders all over the place. And really, if I sat down now and tried to sort through it all, it would probably take about five or ten years. Uh, I don't name anything. Sometimes I will just run my hand over the keyboard. So I kind of... Project management for me is remembering vaguely when I was doing something, (laughs) then maybe looking in my email to see if I emailed any of the other people involved about anything that I was working on to try and narrow down the date, and then looking for files either on the Terra station or my computer or maybe a separate hard drive or trying to remember that they might be somewhere else and when (laughs) I might have done it and trying to figure out what the date of the file is. If I've got the date, then I'm closer to finding the file, and then I'm closer to sort of finding stuff and recreating it. But no, I, I, absolute chaos. Complete and <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then people say to me, Mark, do you know where the master is for this? And I can't remember the name of the song. <laughs> I get Planet Earth, Planet Earth muddled up with Save the Care, and, and Wild Voice is quite easy. It's quite memorable. And then, but, so, and then someone will say, "Have you got this version of this that we did?" And I and I just kind of go, "Well, when did we do that?" And could you remember anything else that happened that day? And they'll go, "Oh yeah, you did such and such." And suddenly, it'll all sort of come back together. And then I <laughs> remarkably managed to send the right thing to the right person, or have done so far in my career. Wow! Yeah. So, Ma- so Mark, when 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 somebody asks you for the multi-track file or for some sound from an earlier project. You have to routinely ask them if there's uh, room in the budget for a private investigator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was it raining no, that just, day? I, I yeah. just need to say to Nick, who was in the studio with us and what we were doing and which studio we were in, and can you remember what we had for dinner that day or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the day when Andy was there and uh, Rich Hilton was made. If I know Rich Hilton was there, then that narrows it down because... 
then if I was working with Rich, then we probably named things in his convention because I probably thought, oh dear, I'd probably better do this properly. <laughs> <laughs> so Rich has got a fantastic naming convention, which which I adhered to for about six months and then forgot. So. Uh. Forgot to do. I d- I d- I'm just trying to think how I tend to do it. I mean, usually I just iterate. So, I mean, I, the, now the most the most files that I'm working on on an, on an iteration basis is uh, our video edits. I've just done a video review of a very exciting new prototype instrument that has just arrived on the door, which I can mm-hmm. give you a blast of, but I can't say anything okay. more. Stay tuned. Anyway, and, uh, you know, so I would do, I'll, st- I'll, I'll start by going, you know, version 1, version 2, version 3, version 4, and then so the name of the file ends up, if I bounce the video or the master audio, whatever it is, to disk, it's got the name of the file in it. So, you know, if I was working on uh, Sonic Lab, blah, 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 version 6, I do the bounce as blah, 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 version 6, so I know that that's what that came from. And it sort yeah. of makes it much easier to kind of track down. And in fact, that makes it an awful lot easier than it used to be when we were working on Dat and stuff. Because it would then you do like which version was it? Then you'd have a different naming convention. So you'd sort of do final mix, final mix two tweaks, final mix two tweaks version vocal up, you know, and you know all that sort of stuff. And it just sort of gets you get past the thirty-two character limit, wouldn't you? And then when you save a project, it's just include all assets, and that's it. But what I tend to do now also is I've got a working drive. I've got a little script that just mirrors it to another working drive. And um, so, you know, I run that every once in a while, and then I've got a, a duplicate of my working drive at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Nice and simple. I, 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 you've reminded me of something else that happens for me, and that is when I'm working in Logic and it asks me if I want to add the file to iTunes. I invariably do that with the very final one. So if I want to find anything that I've done myself i just type tinley into the search field in itunes and it throws up anything that's got my name in it so if it's a tinley mix or if it's a tune that i'm working on but sometimes i do that and i play pieces of music from there and i i kind of go wow this is good what's this I remember doing this and i'll suddenly remember that i wrote something and forgot to finish it and it's sort of like sitting there awaiting completion. so it very much works on the basis that you your memory is still intact that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. well, that's it. I mean, as I'm getting older, I guess things might well change. I suppose, but I don't know. I mean, I try and document things. I mean, I'm terrible because I try and document stuff for Sonic. Because I mean, you know, one day I'd actually quite like not to be doing some of the things that I have to do for Sonic, and somebody else could do them. But I've got to kind of write them all down first so that people can understand what's involved. But yeah. uh, documentation is. I remember the, the good old days. You know, you just take a Polaroid, Polaroid of the uh, of the mixing yeah. desk. That's, I used to love that. I was so pleased with myself when I figured out that that for myself. What, where do you put the documents, though? Uh, well, I put them in various places. I've got I, obviously I use Google um, Google Documents, uh, right. and I, so they're in the cloud. But I also and I share those with various other users of the Sonic State domain, so that other people can get hold of those documents because they're in their shared folders. Which is a really good. That's one good thing about Google is you can share folders with other people, and so anything you put in there, they can look at too. And that's a really nice. But I've just downloaded a um, an application that just downloads everything, all your Google Docs, docs and saves them to a local location. So you know you've oh, got. Oh, that copy- sounds like a good thing. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called now. G Docs Backup or something. It's but I, I tried it and it's like and I backed that up. I've got a RAID drive that's hanging off a, an old laptop in the in the machine room here, and I put anything that's of any value or you know like all of Sonic State, all of the code, all of the videos, everything that we have is on there RAIDed, including the databases. So that just sits there all times that's two drives just sat there sucking up everything that we've got oh right so i, I hmm. you know triplicate 
but I mean, in terms of project management, I'm terrible because I've got versions of the website that I'm, you know, in terms of that side of things. But um, I'm sure somebody talked about using SVN, which is uh, versioning. And didn't somebody, because there's a versioning server that you can get, and people were using it for, you can use it for WAV files, all sorts of things, and you just put everything on that. And right. you, can, you can, so what you have is a version. So, I mean, Dave, I, th- I think, I'm sure it was you who spoke about it. Well, certainly somebody. So what you do is you have an SVN server and you store, say, if you're doing samples for, say, a Tron or whatever, you have, right, here's, here's um, Quire 8 version 1 saved onto the SVN, checked it in, and then if you want to work on them again, you check them out. So you, you check them out from the SVN server, download them all, you work on them again, you can check them back in again. So that always has the latest current version on it in a central point. Yeah. Uh, okay, but what happens if you've gone on holiday with your laptop? Oh, you check them out and take them on the laptop and check yeah, them back in. that's right. right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would work. I'd forget to check them in, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I, I started doing that, and then I, then I just got out of sync, and it was like, oh, no, I can't be bothered now. So, yeah, but there, there must... It is important, and it does... Uh, but it is quite interesting, the amount of organisation that we all have to kind of apply, whether it be, you know, a chaotic side. I mean, even though your chaotic approach is chaotic, it's still got... A, it, has, it has to be executed in a certain way, otherwise it's useless. Oh, yeah, sure. It's of use to but you. It does rely on my mind being able to piece the final pieces together rather than on any human or computer being able to... Any other human, sorry. Mm. <laughs> I'm assuming I'm human. Um, and I, I kind of... Without me, it wouldn't work, would it? Not having to document. I mean, Dave, do you document as well or do you just kind of dis, you know, make the file organisation descriptive? Uh, yeah, do some documentation as well. Oh. Do you have it's to write... Ma- the- sorry, go back... I was going to say, it's when other programmers ask me questions about what I've done, and I said, well, it's fairly obvious, really, isn't it? And they go, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's obvious because the day, you know, the most recent date is going to be the the one, usually, with me. Hmm. This is something that I've just started to do is is documenting every single patch in, in every project that I use, documenting it within the project, which seems almost anal to me but i've had i've had uh you know problems where if you if you upgrade a piece of software or something like that the sample doesn't show up or the patch doesn't show up and so just knowing you know where you can go and grab it what it, what it was that you had in that slot is you know is very helpful and it, you, you know, should it, go and work for nick nick would love you he hates yeah. working with me when when it comes to that stuff. He's always sitting behind me going, have you, have you written that down? What is that? Have you written that down? Have you made a note of what you did and all that? That might bother me, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's a slim chance. Yeah. Maybe like that's it. why I don't do it. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I find is is helpful is when, when having to build a new machine, it's helpful to have a, uh, a history of... You know, obviously, not only your software licenses and, and, and what they are, but what is the copy protection scheme? So I, I try and do that with my Mac when I when I'm change computers. I write down all the software I think I really really need, and yep. just kind of make sure that I get the preferences and all that sort of stuff. But God, yeah, yeah and it so just I, goes I put, on and on, doesn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, I do it though as I install. You just so, want, I mean, even uh, if oh, even, yeah, that's even the if, time to do it. Yeah, it? yeah, because then I mean, even if you don't use it, you can just look at your database of. You know, of software and licenses, and say, okay, I'm not using that anymore. Oh man, that. yeah, I wish I'd done that. Yeah, 
I don't. I, I, I keep it simple. I just don't have any third-party software. <laughs> just, just yeah, make what do with think- the, whatever crap I happen to have on the system. You know. <laughs> what I was thinking. What I was thinking of doing with my email was taking anything before a certain date. So, so if I because I've got, I've nearly filled up my Google allowance on my um. You know, Google. What is it? My Google, Gmail. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, the other thing to do is start a new Gmail account. Oh yeah. And forward all the emails that you co- that come from now to the new Gmail account, and don't keep them on the server of the original one. So you've got so the the old Gmail account becomes the archive up to now. Then you just become Mark Tinley at Gmail. You know, Mark Tinley. Oh yeah, sure. Ten, I'd- eleven. You know, and do it that way. That's, That's one a way. very good idea. That's wow, a really it's like a big idea. email landfill. It's kind of, yeah. Well, because we're getting to that that point as well, where we're going to have to just um, bite the bullet and pay for the you know the pro apps thing. But you know, it's fair. I enough. mean, I rarely use the, I rarely give the Gmail address to anybody anyway. It all forwards from all of my other email, all my oh, well, there you go. URLs. Well, in that case, yeah, just do it that way. Anyway, yeah, okay, thank you for that. We're getting we're getting lost in the inner depths of. Uh, IT almost, but yeah, an interesting it is a very interesting article. Audio Tuts Plus, audio.tutsplus.com. There's a lot of uh, interesting blog posts on the creative process and being a musician and all that kind of stuff. So um, I guess we're probably uh, towards the end of our show, and I want to say thank you very much to our sponsor. First of all, that's it, Yamaha.co.uk. Remember, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. Go check out their podcast and do get into the store and try out the Yamaha CP1 if you can. And also, thanks very much to the people in the chat room. Uh, which uh, was found at sonicstate.com forward slash live from 4pm on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, this is, again, is the last show before Music Messa, because Music Messa is next week. And as I said, there's going to be a few new synths and new things showing up um, that, we, that we know of, and probably some stuff that we don't know of. So our coverage starts next week from the 24th. We're flying out on the Tuesday before. I don't know, Dave, Spears, uh, are you going out? No. Nope. You're not going. All right, fair enough. Well, I won't see you there. <laughs> fair enough. No, I was. Uh, we were going to, but um, I think uh, I need to stay. Good. Well, not good. I mean, I'd like to see you there, but um, at least you don't have the added hassle of moving out. Anyway, Dave Spears, G4Software.com is going to stay home and finish that pesky synth. Ooh. Hopefully. Yes, I'm sure you will. It's coming soon. Anyway, thanks very much, Dave. And also, uh, Mark Tinley, uh, likebeing.com is where you can see what Mark's up to. Uh, we hope uh, you're going to go and tidy your desktop right now, Mark. I think you need a bigger drive. I don't need a bigger drive, and I'm going to go and make the tea, actually, and I'll probably just drag all of those files into my documents until that gets full, and then blah, 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 yeah, blah, no, blah, blah. Well, yeah. it, it works. It iterates. That's good. I'm glad for you. Anyway, thanks for joining us, Mark. It's been a pleasure as welcome. ever. Yeah. And uh, also, PJ Tracy, PJ Tracy Music, thank you for joining us. I'm sorry we got you here an hour earlier than you thought, but next week we should be all back. Well, no, next week you get a week off. <laughs> and then the week after that, I think it might be that the hours might be all synced up again. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, and I hope it hasn't eaten into your day too much. No, no, thank you. My pleasure. And I, I just wanted to mention, and I, first I wanted to say thank you to the listeners that uh, helped uh, help me to make a choice in resolving my... Uh, my live issues. And oh I just yeah, did you li- did you get there? Did you get a- I did. I did. I, I uh, took delivery of a Muse receptor, um, put Ivory onto it. Uh, I bought a QSC PA system, hooked it up, and played a fundraiser last weekend with my quartet, and it went off flawlessly. Oh, brilliant! So was- you can play the full version of Ivory. Absolutely, yeah. The deepest, uh, the deepest of the uh, German Steinway samples, the ten level samples, no problem whatsoever. Soft pedal samples, release samples, everything. Oh, cool! How does yeah. it sound? 
sounds great. It sounds fantastic. Any spare CPU left, or is it really maxed out? No, quite a, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, I think the issue mostly is RAM. I mean, yeah, Ivory's a CPU hog, but I think I'm using about uh, 30% of the CPU. So. Right, but pretty much all the RAM, right? Uh, no, it's got four gigabytes in it. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't look at the I didn't look at the RAM usage to see how much I'm using, but it it's fine. I mean, I can I can uh, put my elbows down on the keyboard and pound and hit a sustain pedal, and I've n- I've never yet gotten a buffer underrun. So it's, yeah, no dropouts, nothing. What are you using so as a master keyboard for that then? Uh, I am using a M Audio Pro Pro 88, which I which I do not like. I'm going to uh, I'm going to get a new a new controller. Okay. Not exactly sure what yet, but something. Oh, well, good luck with that. Thanks for letting us know. Um, Kiwi Steve says, congratulations, PJ. I think he um, had a couple of tips uh, anyway. He but, did. Yeah. But uh, great. Yeah. Well, that's to the power of cloud, uh, of crowdsourcing and, and, and the, uh, the chat room. Thank you very much, Chatties. It's been a great pleasure. I guess if I, we might see some of you in uh, Music Mess, I don't know if uh, Howard will be there or anybody else, but uh, if you're there and you see us wandering around, say hi. Uh, be happy to say I'm not sure what hotel we're staying at but last year I remember I was talking to Andy in the lift and a couple of guys from Portugal at the uh, record store said I know your voice you're Nick from Sonic Talk and I, it was just it was brilliant and voice recognition which is just a, a, a very strange way of being recognised but uh, so anyway yeah do say hi if you see me or Andy and uh, we'll be happy to, to say hi back okay um, that was Sonic Talk number 169 live and direct and thanks once again Sunshine, he knew he was awake. He didn't ever talk about he knew he couldn't wait. Are you ever gonna push me up your Let me do it. I need an idea and I have another clue. And he took his turn to get the race in my 